0: 21, set up in business, but his speculations failed, he returned to her own, and his necessities obliged him to enter the service of a baker, who employed him in turning a hand mill, while in this degrading occupation he wrote three plays, the sale of which to the managers of the public games enabled him to quit his drudgery, and begin his literary career, he was then about 30 years of HBC 224, and continued to write for the stage for about 40 years. He died in BC 184, when he was 70 years of age. The comedies of Plautus enjoyed unrivaled popularity among the Romans, and continued to be represented down to the time of Diocletian, though they were founded upon Greek models. The characters in them act, speak, and joke like genuine Romans, and the poet thereby secured the sympathy of his audience more completely than Terence it was not only with the common people that Plautus was a favorite, educated Romans read and admired his works down to the latest times. Cicero places his wit on a level with that of the old epic comedy, and Saint Jerome used to console himself with the perusal of the poet. After spending many nights in tears on account of his past sins, the favorable impression which the ancients entertained of the merits of Plautus has been confirmed by the judgment of modern critics and by the fact that several of his plays have been imitated by many of the best modern poets, twenty of his comedies are extant. P. and usually called Terence, was born at Carthage, B.C. 195. By birth or purchase he became the slave of P. Terence, a Roman senator, who afforded him the best education of the age, and finally gave him his freedom, Beandria, which was the first play of Terence acted B.C. 166 was the means of introducing him to the most refined and intellectual circles of Rome. His chief patrons were Lilies and the younger Scipio, both of whom treated him as an equal, and are said even to have assisted him in the composition of his plays. He died in the thirty-sixth year of his age, in B.C. 159. Six comedies are all that remain to us. The ancient critics are unanimous in ascribing to Terence immaculate purity and elegance of language. Although a foreigner and a freedman, he divides with Cicero and Caesar the palm of pure Latinity. There were two other comic poets, whose works are lost, but who enjoyed a great reputation among the Romans. QCACI was a native of Milan, and, like Terence, came to Rome as a slave. He was the immediate predecessor of Terence, and died B.C. 108, two years before the representation of the Andrea, L. A. flourished B.C. 100 and wrote comedies describing Roman scenes and manners, called Komoedii to distinguish them from those depicting Grecian life, which were termed Peleidae, from Peleum, the national dress of the Greeks. There were two tragic poets contemporary with Terence, who also enjoyed great celebrity, though their works have likewise perished. Mpacuvius, son of the sister of Ennis, was born about B. C. 220, and died in the 90th year of his age. He is praised by the Latin writers for the loftiness of his thoughts, the vigor of his language, and the extent of his knowledge. Hence we find the epithet doctus frequently applied to him. Most of his tragedies were taken from the Greek writers, but some belonged to the class called Pretextity, in which the subjects were taken from Roman story. One of these, entitled Paus, had as its hero Elimiles Paus, the conqueror of Perseus, king of Macedonia, Laccius a younger contemporary of Pecuvies, was born B.C. 170, and lived to a great age, Cicero, when a young man, frequently conversed with him, his tragedies, like those of Pecuvies, were chiefly imitations of the Greek, but he also wrote some on Roman subjects, one of which was entitled Brutus, though the Roman drama, properly so called, was derived from the Greeks, there were some kinds of dramatic exhibitions which were of Italian origin. The first of these were the Attellani Fabulae, or Attalane plays, which took their name from Atella, a town in Campania. They were composed in the Oscan dialect, and were at first rude extemporaneous farces, but were afterward divided into acts like a regular drama. They seem to have been the origin of the Policinello of modern Italy. The Oscan dialect was preserved even when they were introduced at Rome. The mines were another species of comedy, of which only the name seems to have been derived from the Greek. They were a species of low comedy of an indecent description, in which the dialogue was subordinate to mimicry and gesture. The dictator Sulla was very fond of these performances. The two most distinguished writers of minds were December Labiarius, a knight, and Psyrius, a freedman, and originally a Syrian slave, both of whom were contemporaries of Julius Caesar, at Caesar's triumphal games in October, BC 45. Ceres challenged all his craft to a trial of wit in extemporaneous farce, and Caesar offered Labieres 500.000 sesterces to appear on the stage, Labieres was 60 years old, and the profession of aminus was infamous, but the wish of the dictator was equivalent to a command, and he reluctantly complied, he had, however, revenging his power, and took it, his prologue awakened compassion, and perhaps indignation and during the performance he adroitly availed himself of his various characters to point his wit at Caesar, in the person of a beaten Syrian slave he cried out, marry, choirites, but we lose our freedom, and all eyes were turned upon the dictator, and in another mind he uttered the pregnant maxim, needs must he fear who makes all else a dread, Caesar, impartially or vindictively, awarded the prize to Ceres. the Fessonine songs were the origin of the satire, the only important species of literature not derived from the Greeks and altogether peculiar to Italy these vespasian songs were rude dialogues in which the country people assailed and ridiculed one another in extemporary verses and which were introduced as an amusement in various festivals they were formed into the satire by Elias, who wrote in hexameter verse and attacked the follies and vices both of distinguished persons and of mankind in general he was born bc 148 that's us Auranca, and died at Naples in BC 103. He lived upon terms of intimacy with the younger Scipio and Lales, and was the maternal ancestor of Pompey the Great. Lucilius continued to be admired in the Augustan age, and Horace, while he censures the harsh versification and the slovenly haste with which Lucilles threw off his compositions, acknowledges with admiration the fierceness and boldness of his attacks upon the vices and follies of his contemporaries. Between Lucilius and the poets of the Augustan age lived Lucretius and Catullus, two of the greatest perhaps the greatest of all the Roman poets, T. Lucretius C. was born B.C. 95, and died about B.C. 51, he is said to have been driven mad by a love potion, and to have perished by his own hand, the work which has immortalized his name is a philosophical didactic poem, in heroic hexameters, entitled Rerum Natura*, divided into six books, and addressed to C. Memes Gemellus, who was praetor in BC 58. Its object is to state clearly the leading principles of the Epicurean philosophy in such a form as might render the study attractive to his countrymen. He attempts to show that there is nothing in the history or actual condition of the world which does not admit of explanation without having recourse to the active interposition of divine beings. The work has been admitted by all modern critics to be the greatest of didactic poems the most abstruse speculations are clearly explained in majestic verse, while the subject, which in itself is dry and dull, is enlivened by digressions of matchless power and beauty. V. A. L. E. R. I. C. A. D. U. L. -L I. was born at Verona or in its immediate vicinity, B. C. 87. He inherited considerable property from his father, who was the friend of Julius Caesar, but he squandered a great part of it by indulging freely in the pleasures of the metropolis, in order to better his fortunes. He went to Bithynia in the train of the Memes, But it appears that the speculation was attended with little success. It was probably during this expedition that his brother died in the Trode, a loss which he deplores in the affecting elegy to Horlus. On his return he continued to reside at Rome, or at his country seats on the promontory of Sermio and at Tiber. He died about B.C. 47. His poems are on a variety of topics, and composed in different styles and meters. Some are lyrical. Others elegies, others epigrams, while the nuptials of Peleus and Thetis is an heroic poem, Catullus is adorned all he touched, and his shorter poems are characterized by original invention and felicity of expression. His Adius is one of the most remarkable poems in the whole range of Latin literature, distinguished by wild passion and the noblest diction. Among the poets of the Augustan age, Vargil and Horace stand forth preeminent the more properly, the IRGILIUS was born BC 70, at Andes, a small village near Mantua, in Cisalpine Call. His father left him a small estate, which he cultivated. After the Battle of Philippi BC 42, his property was among the lands assigned by Octavian to the soldiers, through the advice of Asinis Pallio, who was then governor of Cisalpine Call, and was himself a poet. Vargel applied to Octavian at Rome for the restitution of his land. And obtained his request. The first eclogue commemorates his gratitude. Vargil lived on intimate terms with Marcellus, whom he accompanied in the journey from Rome to Brunducene, which forms the subject of one of the satires of Horace, his most finished work. The Georgics was undertaken at the suggestion of Marcellus. The poem was completed after the Battle of Actium, B.C. 31, while Octavian was in the East. The Aeneid was the occupation of his latter years. His health was always feeble and he died at Brunducene in BC 19. In his 51st year, his remains were transferred to Naples, which had been his favorite residence, and placed on the road from Naples to Puteoli Pozuoli, where a monument is still shown, supposed to be the tomb of the poet. It is said that in his last illness he wished to burn the Aeneid, to which he had not given the finishing touches, but his friends would not allow him. He was an amiable, good-tempered man, free from the mean passions of envy and jealousy. His fame, which was established in his lifetime, was cherished after his death as an inheritance in which every Roman had a share, and his works became school books even before the death of Augustus, and continued such for centuries after. He was also the great poet of the Middle Ages. To him Dante paid the homage of his superior genius, and owned him for his master and model. The ten short poems called Bucolics, or Eclogs, were the earliest works of Vargil, and probably all written between B.C. 41 and B.C. 37. They had all a bucolic form and coloring, but some of them had nothing more. Their merit consists in their versification, and in many natural and simple touches. The Georgics is an agricultural poem, in four books. Vargil treats of the cultivation of the soil in the first book, of fruit trees in the second, of horses and other cattle in the third, and of bees in the fourth. This poem shows a great improvement both in his taste and in his versification. Neither in the Georgics nor elsewhere has he the merit of striking originality, his chief excellence consists in the skillful handling of borrowed materials. The Aeneid, or Adventures of Aeneas after the fall of Troy, is an epic formed on the model of the Homeric poems. It was founded upon an old Roman tradition that Aeneas and his Trojans settled in Italy, and were the founders of the Roman name. In the first six books the adventures of Ulysses in the Odyssey are the model, and these books contain more variety of incident and situation than those which follow. The last six books, the history of the struggles of Aeneas in Italy, are based on the plan of the battles of the Iliad. Latinus, the king of the Latini, offers in marriage to the Trojan hero his daughter Lavinia, who had been betrothed to Ternus, the warlike king of the Rutuli. The contest is ended by the death of Ternus, who falls by the hand of Aeneas. The fortunes of Aeneas and his final settlement in Italy are the subjects of the Aeneid. But the glories of Rome and the Julian House, to which Augustus belonged, are indirectly the poet's theme. In the first book the foundation of Alba Longa is promised by Jupiter to Venus. And the transfer of empire from Alba to Rome, from the line of Aeneas will descend the Trojan Caesar, whose empire will only be limited by the ocean, and his glory by the heavens. The ultimate triumphs of Rome are predicted. Q-H-O-R-A-D-I-U-S-F-L-A-C-C-U-S, usually called Horus, was born at Venusia in Apulia, B.C. 65. His father was a freedman. He had received his menumission before the birth of the poet, who was of ingenuous birth, but who did not altogether escape the taunt which adhered to persons even of remote servile origin. His father's occupation was that of a collector-coctor of taxes. With the profits of his office he had purchased a small farm in the neighborhood of Venusia. Though by no means rich, he declined to send the young horse to the common school, kept in Venusia by one's ladies, to which the children of the rural aristocracy resorted. Probably about his twelfth year his father carried him to a Rome to receive the usual education of a knight's or senator's son. He frequented the best schools in the capital. One of these was kept by Orbilis, a retired military man, whose flogging propensities had been immortalized by his pupil. The names of his other teachers are not recorded by the poet, he was instructed in the Greek and Latin languages, the poets were the usual school books Homer in the Greek, and the old tragic writer, and Andronicus, in the Latin, in his eighteenth year Horus proceeded to Athens, in order to continue his studies at that seat of learning, when Brutus came to Athens after the death of Caesar, Horace joined his army, and received at once the rank of a military tribune and the command of a legion. He was present at the Battle of Philippi, and shared in the flight of the Republican army. In one of his poems he playfully alludes to his flight, and throwing away his shield, he now resolved to devote himself to more peaceful pursuits, and, having obtained his pardon, he ventured at once to a return to Rome. own. He had lost all his hopes in life, his paternal estate had been swept away in the general forfeiture, but he was enabled to obtain sufficient money to purchase a clerkship in the quaestor's office and on the profits of that place he managed, with the utmost frugality, to live. Meantime some of his poems attracted the notice of Maris and Vargil, who introduced him to Maasena's BC 39. Horace soon became the friend of Maasena's, and this friendship quickly ripened into intimacy. In a year or two after the commencement of their friendship BC 37 Horus accompanied his patron on the journey to Brundusim already alluded to, about the year BC 34 Maussin is bestowed upon the poet a Sabine farm, sufficient to maintain him in ease, comfort, and even in content, during the rest of his life. The situation of this farm was in the valley of Ustica, within view of the mountain Lucre lives, and near the Digentia, about 15 miles from Tiber Tivoli, a site exactly answering to the Villa of Horus, and on which were found ruins of buildings, has been discovered in modern times, besides this estate. His admiration of the beautiful scenery in the neighborhood of Tiber inclined him either to hire or to purchase a small cottage in that romantic town, and all the later years of his life were passed between the metropolis and these two country residences. He died, B.C. 8, in his 57th year. He was buried on the slope of the Esquiline Hill, close to his friend and patron Mausinas, who had died before him in the same year. Horace has described his own person. He was of short stature with dark eyes and dark hair, but early tinged with gray. In his youth he was tolerably robust, but suffered from a complaint in his eyes. In more advanced life he grew fat, and Augustus jested about his protuberant belly. His health was not always good, and he seems to have inclined to be a valetudinarian. In dress he was rather careless. His habits, even after he became richer, were generally frugal and abstemious, though on occasions, both in youth and mature age, he seems to have indulged in conviviality. He liked choice wine, and in the society of friends scrupled not to enjoy the luxuries of his time. He was never married. The odes of Horace want the higher inspirations of lyric verse. His amatory verses are exquisitely graceful, but they had no strong ardor, no deep tenderness, nor even much light and joyous gaiety, but as works of refined art, of the most skillful felicities of language and of measure, of translucent expression and of agreeable images embodied in words which imprint themselves indelibly on the memory. They are unrivaled. In the satires of Horace there is none of the lofty moral indignation, the fierce vehemence of invective, which characterize the later satirists. It is the folly rather than the wickedness of vice which he touches with such playful skill. In the epodes there is bitterness provoked, it should seem, by some personal hatred or sense of injury, but the epistles are the most perfect of the Horatian poetry the poetry of manners and society, the beauty of which consists in its common sense and practical wisdom, the epistles of Horace, are, with the poem of Lucretius, the Georgics of Virgil, and, perhaps, the satires of Juvenal, the most perfect and the most original form of Roman verse. The art of poetry was probably intended to dissuade one of the younger Pisos from devoting himself to poetry, for which he had little genius, or, at least, to suggest the difficulties of attaining to perfection. Three celebrated elegiac poets Tibullus, Properties, and Ovid also belonged to the Augustan age. Albius Tibullus was of equestrian family, and possessed an hereditary estate between Tiber and primus His great patron was Masala, whom he accompanied in BC 31 into Aquitania, whither Masala had been sent by Augustus to suppress a formidable insurrection which had broken out in this province. In the following year B.C. 30 Masala, having pacified call, was sent into the East. Tybalus set out in his company, but was taken ill, and obliged to remain in Corsaira, from whence he returned to Rome. So ceased the active life of Tybalus. He died at an early age soon after Virgil. The poetry of his contemporaries shows Tybalus as a gentle and singularly amiable man. To Horus especially he was an object of warm attachment. His elegies, which are exquisite small poems, celebrate the beauty and cruelty of his mistresses. S.E.X.E.U.S.A.U.R.E.L.I.U.S.P.R.O.P.R.D.I.U.S. was a native of Umbria, and was born about B.C. 51. He was deprived of his paternal estate by an agrarian division, probably that in B.C. 33. After the Sicilian War, he began to write poetry at a very early age, and the merit of his productions soon attracted the attention and patronage of Maocenas. The year of his death is altogether unknown. As an elegiate poet, of high rank must be awarded to Properties. And among the ancients, it was a disputed point whether the preference should be given to him or to Tibullus. To the modern reader, however, the elegies of Properties are not nearly so attractive as those of Tibullus. This arises partly from their obscurity, but in a great measure, also, from a certain want of nature in them. The fault of Properties was too pedantic an imitation of the Greeks. His whole ambition was to become the Roman Calimashus whom he made his model, he abounds with obscure Greek myths, as well as Greek forms of expression, and the same pedantry infects even his versification, The is an usually called Oviidae, was born at Silmo, in the country of the Peligni on the 20th of March, BC 43, he was descended from an ancient equestrian family, and was destined to be a pleader, but the bend of his genius showed itself very early the hours which should have been spent in the study of jurisprudence were employed in cultivating his poetical talent. It is a disputed point whether he ever actually practiced as an advocate after his return to Rome. The picture of it himself draws of his weak constitution and indolent temper prevents us from thinking that he ever followed his profession with perseverance. If, indeed, at all, he became, however, one of the triumvirate capitules, and he was subsequently made one of the centumvirate or judges who tried testamentary, and even criminal causes, till his 50th year he continued to reside at Rome, where he had a house near the capital, occasionally taking a trip to his Pelignian farm, he not only enjoyed the friendship of a large circle of distinguished men, but the regard and favor of Augustus and the imperial family, notwithstanding, in AD 9, he was suddenly commanded by an imperial edict to transport himself to Tomy, a town on the Euxine near the mouths of the Danube, on the very border of the empire. He underwent no trial, and the sole reason for his banishment stated in the edict was his having published his poem on the art of love or his amatoria. The real cause of his banishment is unknown, for the publication of the art of love was certainly a mere pretext. Ovid draws an affecting picture of the miseries to which he was exposed in his place of exile. He complains of the inhospitable soil, of the severity of the climate and of the perils to which he was exposed, when the barbarians plundered the surrounding country, and insulted the very walls of Tomy. In the midst of all his misfortunes he sought some relief in the exercise of his poetical talents. He died at Tomy in the sixtieth year of his age, A.D. 18. Besides his amatory poems, Ovid wrote the Metamorphoses in fifteen books, which consist of such legends or fables as involved a transformation, from the creation to the time of Julius Caesar. The last being that emperors change into a star, The Festi in twelve books, of which only the first six are extant, a sort of poetical Roman calendar, with its appropriate festivals and mythology, and the elegies, written during his banishment, Ovid undoubtedly possessed a great poetical genius, which makes it the more to be regretted that it was not always under the control of a sound judgment, he exhibits great vigor of fancy and warmth of coloring. But he was the first to depart from that pure and correct taste which characterizes the Greek poets and their earlier Latin imitators. We now turn to the history of prose literature among the Romans. The earliest prose works were annals, containing a meager account of the principal events in Roman history, arranged under their respective years. The earliest annalists who obtained reputation were QFABIUS Pictor and LCINCIUS A-L-I-M-E-N-D-U's, both of whom served in the Second Punic War and drew up an account of it but they wrote in the Greek language, the first prose writer in the Latin language, of whom any considerable fragments have been preserved, is the celebrated censor, M. Porcius Cato, who died B.C. 149, and of whose life an account has been already given, he wrote an important historical work entitled Origins, the first book contained the history of the Roman kings, the second and third treated of the origin of the Italian towns, and from these two books the whole work derived its title the fourth book treated of the First Punic War, the fifth book of the Second Punic War, and the sixth and seventh continued the narrative to the year of Cato's death. There is still extant a work on agriculture de re Rustic bearing the name of Cato, which is probably substantially his, though it is certainly not exactly in the form in which it proceeded from his pen. There were many other analysts, of whom we know little more than the names, and whose works were used by Ladi in compiling his Roman history. Oratory was always cultivated by the Romans as one of the chief avenues to political distinction. Cicero, in his work entitled Brutus, has given a long list of distinguished orators whose speeches he had read, but he himself surpassed all his predecessors and contemporaries. In his works the Latin language appears in the highest perfection. Besides his numerous orations he also wrote several treatises on rhetoric, of which the most perfect is a systematic treatise on the art of oratory de orator, in three books. His works on philosophy were almost the first specimens of this kind of literature ever presented to the Romans in their own language. He does not aim at any original investigation or research. His object was to present, in a familiar and attractive form, the results at which the Greek philosophers had arrived, not to expound any new theories. His epistles, of which more than 800 have come down to us, are among the most valuable remains of antiquity. Cicero. During the most important period of his life, maintained a close correspondence with Adiquus, and with a wide circle of political friends and connections. These letters supply the most ample materials for a history of the Roman Republic during its last struggles, and afford a clear insight into the personal dispositions and motives of its chief leaders. The most learned Roman under the Republic was M.D.R.E.N.D.I.U.S.V.A.R.O., a contemporary and friend of Cicero. He served as Pompey's lieutenant in Spain in the civil wars but was pardoned by Caesar after the Battle of Pharsalia, and was employed by him in superintending the collection and arrangement of the great library designed for public use. Upon the formation of the Second Triumvirate, Varro's name appeared upon the list of the proscribed, but he succeeded in making his escape, and, after having remained for some time in concealment, he obtained the protection of Octavian. His death took place BC 28, when he was in his 80th year. Not only was Varro the most learned of Roman scholars, but he was likewise the most voluminous of Roman authors. We have his own authority for the assertion that he had composed no less than 490 books, but of these only two have come down to us, and one of them in a mutilated form, 1. De Re Rustica, a work on agriculture, in three books, written when the author was 80 years old, 2. De Lingua Latina, a grammatical treatise which extended to 24 books but six only have been preserved, and these are in a mutilated condition, the remains of this treatise are particularly valuable, they have preserved many terms and forms which would otherwise have been altogether lost, and much curious information connected with the ancient usages, both civil and religious, of the Romans, see Julius Caesar, the great dictator, was also distinguished as an author, and wrote several works, of which the commentaries alone have come down to us, they relate the history of the first seven years of the Gallic War in seven books, and the history of the Civil War down to the commencement of the Alexandrian in three books. Neither of these works completes the history of the Gallic and Civil Wars. The history of the former was completed in an eighth book, which is usually ascribed to Herdes. The history of the Alexandrian, African, and Spanish Wars was written in three separate books, which are also ascribed to Herdes, but their authorship is uncertain. The purity of Caesar's Latin and the clearness of his style had deservedly obtained the highest praise. C.S.A.L.O.U.S.P.I.U.S.C.R.I.S.P.U.S. A contemporary of Caesar, and one of his supporters, was also distinguished as a historian. He was born B.C. 86 at Emeturnum, in the country of the Sabines, and died in B.C. 34. After the African War B.C. 46 he was left by Caesar as governor of Numidia, where he acquired great riches by his oppression of the people. Two of his works have come down to us: the Catiline, the history of the suppression of Catiline's conspiracy, and the Jugurna, the history of the war against Jugurtha. Sallust made Thucydides his model and took great pains with his style. Cornelius Nepos, the contemporary and friend of Cicero and Adiquus, was the author of numerous works, all of which are lost, with the exception of the well-known Lives of distinguished commanders by the excellent Imperatorum. But even these lives with the exception of that of Adiquis, are probably an abridgment of the original work of Nepos, made in the 4th century of the Christian era. Of the prose writers of the Augustan age the most distinguished was the historian Titus Livius, usually called Livy. He was born at Patavium, Padua, BC 59. The greater part of his life appears to have been spent in Rome, but he returned to his native town before his death, which happened at the age of 76, in the 4th year of Tiberius. A.D. 17. His literary talents secured the patronage and friendship of Augustus, and his reputation became so widely diffused, that a Spaniard traveled from Cadiz to Rome solely for the purpose of beholding him, and, having gratified his curiosity in this one particular, he immediately returned home. Livy's history of Rome extended from the foundation of the city to the death of Drusus, B.C. 9, and was comprised in 142 books. Of these 35 have descended to us. The whole work has been divided into decades, containing 10 books each. The first decade BKs IX is entire. It embraces the period from the foundation of the city to the year BC 294, when the subjugation of the Samnites may be said to have been completed. The second decade BKs XX is altogether lost. It included the period from BC 294 to BC 219 comprising an account, among other matters, of the invasion of Paris and of the First Punic War, the Third Decade BKs, XC, XXX, is entire, it embraces the period from BC 219 to BC 201, comprehending the whole of the Second Punic War, the Fourth Decade BKs, XC, XL, is entire, and also one half of the Fifth BKs, XC, XLV. These fifteen books continue the history from BC 201 to BC 167, and develop the progress of the Roman arms in Cisalpine Gaul, in Macedonia, Greece, and Asia, ending with the triumph of Imelius Paus. Of the remaining books nothing is extant except in considerable fragments. The style of Livy may be pronounced almost faultless. In judging of his merits as a historian, we are bound to ascertain, if possible, the end which he proposed to himself. No one who reads his work with attention can suppose that he ever conceived the project of drawing up a critical history of Rome. His aim was to offer to his countrymen a clear and pleasing narrative, which, while it gratified their vanity, should contain no startling improbabilities or gross amplifications. To effect this purpose, he studied with care the writings of some of his more celebrated predecessors in the same field, but in no case did he ever dream of ascending to the head.